0: So Samar Wheaton is not a part of Oklahoma's 2021 recruiting class. The stud running back has chosen Alabama over the Oklahoma Sooners in a back-to-back years where the Crimson Tide flips one of Oklahoma's elite running backs, Jace McClellan in 2019, or 2020, and now Samar Wheaton in 2021. Rich, I mean, look, bigger than Alabama beating Oklahoma for a running back is the fact that Oklahoma now has no running backs. By the way, welcome to the Sooner Nation Podcast. He's Rich. I'm Matt. We're gonna spend some time here at the very front of this thing talking about Oklahoma's running back situation because it seems like a lot of the news this week has been about running backs and I, I think it stacks, Rich. I don't think I don't think you can look at any of these stories and say that they're isolated stories. They all to me they all flow together. But let's start with Samar Wheaton. Going to Alabama, Oklahoma. Now, had, all their eggs were in the Samar Wheaton basket. So, do you, don't you feel like you have to start there when you're when you're talking about this running back situation? You got to start. It doesn't matter who's coming back. We'll get into that. It doesn't matter who you have right now. We'll get into that. What matters at this point, if you're Lincoln Riley, is you've got to be on the phone talking to junior college coaches. There's a couple of guys out there still on the prep level. Not much. But you got to find a running back for 2021. I I don't think you can have a gap year as as good as Oklahoma has been at producing talent and and developing talent. I don't think you can afford to
1: have a gap year, in at the running back position. I do agree wholeheartedly with what you've said, knowing that Oklahoma and I think there's going to be a misconception that is consistently thrown around. And that Oklahoma would be thin at the running back position. I I don't believe that to be the case moving forward. No, I,
0: yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just jumping because I agree wholeheartedly. I think depth plays a big role Mm -hmm. in why Wheaton's going to Tuscaloosa instead of Norman.
1: But in the same conversation, in that same breath, you do have to look at the talent that is there. And you know that there's potential. If Stevenson leaves and these reports are true, that Kennedy Brooks is returning for another season. It, it's almost as if there's a set starter. It's really who's going to be that backup. So I think on the two deep, even the three deep, you could throw a guy like Mikey Henderson in there who can play that role. He's not a full-time keep, running back, you Matt. You keep I bringing it. Mikey I Henderson. It. I do. I do. Because I, I love what he brings to the table, and I love that versatility. Right. And I know that's something that Oklahoma has tapped into in the past. Why why turn your back? on a guy like that. But when it comes to just raw running back talents, I would say that that Oklahoma would be set for the top two heading into next year. There is some talent, guys that we haven't even mentioned yet, like a Marcus Major, who sits on this roster. Don't know the situation with him at this point in time. I, I, Matt, I'm just looking for future reference in saying that everyone that is currently on this Oklahoma roster will most likely play moving forward in some capacity. Scholarship running backs will most likely play in some capacity. And we know that next year they're going to start exhausting that eligibility. When you begin to factor in all of that, I wanted to go back to what you said originally, because Oklahoma can't afford to have one running back recruit commit and then sign in two consecutive seasons.
0: Well right now it's zero running backs.
1: Well they they had one last year. Right. They have zero you, 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 for this right. year. You so s- one in a two year season. I, I see what you're saying. Okay. It's, I thought you I the, thought you were talking math,
0: about in one in mm-hmm. consecutive season. The but math, you're talking about Seth McGowan being correct. the one guy in two correct. years. Gotcha.
1: The the math just isn't gonna add up, and I do have to wonder who has Oklahoma really been holding in the back pocket? Who's that that next name that they're gonna go hard for? And two, is are there any JUCO prospects that they're gonna begin to consider? Well,
0: I'm glad you asked because I have that answer. share um lj johnson i think is in play for oklahoma he's a um he's he looks to be at this point a lean for texas a&m but i I think the reason why he's a lean for texas a&m is because oklahoma had samar wheaton so i think lj johnson now out of cypress texas and, and he it's not a. I mean, he's the number three running back in the class, number five from the state of Texas. It it comes down to Texas A and M and Texas. Texas is such a mess right now. I think Oklahoma can swoop in and make some noise with him. But if not, if the Aggies truly do have him locked up, then you, I, I think he's the only prep you have left right now. It, it, I, he's the only one that makes sense. But if you can't get L.J. Johnson, then there's, uh, there's a. Garden City Community College has a guy named Jordan Ford. Garden City's close. It's in this region. I promise you, Oklahoma's been on the phone with this kid. Um Jordan Ford is a is a guy that easily could sway towards Oklahoma. There's a guy out of American River Community College named Jeremiah Johnson. Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College has DeAndre House. So there are there's possibilities out there, but now if you're Oklahoma, it's it's almost I feel like you almost have to play the old Mac Brown ploy here. It's first come first serve boys. We got a spot open and we'd love for y'all to come be a part of it. But the Mm -hmm. first one that tells me, yes, gets the spot. That may be where you are at this point, but if you're not going to get LJ Johnson and they're, they're behind the eight ball there with him. But you talk about having someone in in their back pocket. Um, the, The guys I, the guys I can tell you that Lincoln Riley is getting in touch with are LJ Johnson out of Cypress, Texas, and Jordan Ford out of Garden City Community College. Those are the names you want to know. And I think if you go further down to Jeremiah Johnson or DeAndre House, then you've, you've probably whiffed on LJ Johnson and Jordan Ford. That, that's where you are. Now, here, here's the important thing when we're talking about this story. I do think maybe a JUCO option is your best bet here. And the reason why is because they're short timers, all right? Ramondre Stevens has already been around longer did, than... Did
1: you want to use the term stopgap?
0: No, because they're not stopgap. Okay,
1: because that's where I went, if you remember well, correctly. Right, you but were you talking about Perry and Winfrey
0: and Josh, right. But because whoever comes in is going to have to produce like Ramondre did. But let, now let's, let's bring all this back around, and let's talk about the running back news that came this week. And we'll talk about it in order we get news that TJ Pledger is transferring out. Not a surprise because that exact same day right. we get news that Kennedy Brooks plans to rejoin the team in right.
1: 2021. And, and I'm, I'm going to pause you just for yeah. a quick moment because it did seem as if there were a line of dominoes that were waiting to fall after the initial report of TJ Pledger looking to enter that transfer portal. There, there had to have been a reason and I didn't want to grasp at straws and make some guesses but given the way that the season went for him, mm-hmm. it said one of two things. And I think we got one of those, which is the the news on Kennedy Brooks. Now, the second one, which I've already mentioned, is I don't know that it says anything about Ramondre Stevenson yet. Oh, yeah, it does. It yeah, I does. think so.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I said this off the air. It didn't get recorded. Um, So I have two, two pools of people that I get information from. One of them, and I call them my trusted sources. There are people that feed me information. The, the that Knights of
1: Camelot we were, I'm, I'm sit just saying, at the round table. I'm
0: just saying there are people that feed me information that are they're the right 90 percent of the time, and then there's that pool of people that just gives me inf- interesting information. It's not verified. It's just hey, I'm I'm hearing this. So and so said this. Here's kind of the scuttlebutt, right? Both of those pools are telling me that Ramondre Stevenson is a heavy lean towards returning in 2021. And the reason why, it comes down to film. You and I have talked a lot about film. We talked about this with Kennedy Brooks back when Kennedy Brooks made his decision to set out for 2020 because of COVID. One of the things I said was, he's got two years of film. He's a a thousand yard running back, back to back years. So he's got literally 2,000 yards worth of game film out there. Ramondre doesn't have that. Ramondre has power. He has size. He has speed. He has everything you want in an NFL running back, but he doesn't have game film. Remember, he was kind of a late bloomer in 2019, and then he missed the first half of 2020, so he doesn't have a full season of film at the Power 5 level that he's playing on. And so why he could leave and go to the NFL... He could also come back one more year, put together a full season of film, and then leave for the NFL as a high-round draft pick as opposed to a mid-to-low-round draft pick. That's where Ramondre is. And both, both pools that, that give me information are telling me it's looking good for Ramondre returning in 2021. And then so I'm jumping on the big assumption train here, and I'm saying TJ's gone, and now Samar Wheaton's gone, Why is that? Well, T.J. knows he's behind Ramondre Stevenson. And with Kennedy Brooks being back, he's going to be behind Kennedy Brooks. T.J. Pleasure's only hope to be a full-time contributor in 2021 was to beat out Ramondre Stevenson. He absolutely did not do that. Now you got Kennedy Brooks coming back. T.J.'s gone. Samar Wheaton has the ability to be a day-one type player in a program so he could come to Norman where you've got Seth McGowan, who's only going to get better. you got Ramondre Stevenson, who's going to be an NFL draft pick. you got Kennedy Brooks, who's going to be an NFL draft pick. So you've got a long line in Norman. Or you can go out to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where we all know Najee Harris. I mean, he's not going to take that extra year. Dude's a senior. This time next year, he's going to be a multimillionaire. He's ready. He's going. There, there is no decision for Najee Harris to make. And then you got Brian Robinson, who's also a senior out in Alabama. And while his, while his future is maybe up in the air, he could take that extra year. The point is, who's the NFL back that you've got to beat out in Alabama? I can tell you two of them you've got to beat out in Norman. So the line to the field is much shorter in Norman than it is in Tuscaloosa. And that's what this comes down to, in my opinion. Yes, Alabama beat Oklahoma for a recruit. I get it. I get it. It sucks. It stings. It hurts. But when you put all these things together, you line up all these ducks in a row, you get a full story that really kind of paints the picture of why. And I'm thinking, okay, it's the right decision. If you're, if you're Samar Wheaton and three years from now, you want to be in the NFL, where is that going to happen quickly? Well, it's going to happen probably more sooner than later in, in Alabama than it is at Oklahoma because there's not as long, as long of a wait. That, that's all I'm. That's that's all I'm getting at. I hate it, but it is what it is. Now Oklahoma has to go find a running back,
1: and in a hurry, and in a hurry, and in a hurry. I, I don't think that we can emphasize that enough at this point. And one thing, Matt, that is crazy to me is how we're, when we look at the year that 2020 has been, and knowing that all these players have been granted an additional year of eligibility, I knew that that would play some sort of a factor when it came to recruiting. I just didn't know what that factor would be. We are beginning to see some of that we are beginning to see. If you want to call that fallout, or if you're on the receiving end, you want to say that it's a late or an early Christmas gift. Um, you can you can take whichever side you would like. But we're beginning to see just how that extra year of eligibility will shape this college football landscape. And it's easy to look, and and this is where I wanted to go with this. It's easy to look at those recruiting rankings and a lot of people tend to follow recruiting and they tend to latch on to these star ratings mm-hmm. of the different individuals but truth be told and this is not a knock against anyone who's ever been rated as a five-star um, but we know that it doesn't always pan out for those individuals jeremy calhoun was a, a phenomenal great running back yep, great coming name. out of high school just didn't pan out at the university of oklahoma I don't even think that he made it into the NFL. But needless to say, to illustrate that point, there's a five-star name who a lot of people were very familiar with who just couldn't cut it at the the collegiate level. And again, I'm not saying that's going to happen with Samar Wheaton, but it does show that you can't put All of your eggs in one singular basket and say that this will be the savior of this specific group, this specific position. Oklahoma, I do think may have shot themselves in the foot a little bit by not going hard on any other players. I did expect them to have two running backs in this class, and I don't know if that's a possibility let me rephrase that. I don't know if it's a possibility to get two prep kids no, you that can't. are at the running at, at back position. At this point,
0: you can't. I mean, like I said, and, and, at this point, LJ Johnson, if you're going prep, he's the
1: only one that's holding an offer. From Oklahoma, but I, in the back of my mind, I feel like another good example that we could look at on the recruiting front was Chandler Morris last year. Mm-hmm. And Chandler Morris was that late addition at the quarterback position. I don't know how long he held an offer, but it seemed as though things developed pretty quickly. Oklahoma is no fool. The coaching staff, they're not fools. Right. They have some cards up their sleeve that they've been holding on to for quite some time. We're just going to see those played face up here in the coming days.
0: Yeah. And it, I, I, Right. And you just got to, it's going to be fun from our perspective, covering this to watch what happens with an LJ Johnson or what happens with these Juco kids. You just going to want, you're going to want to pay attention. Mm-hmm. What are these experts like Mike Roach? What are, what, uh, you know, what, what are those guys saying right. when it comes to the percentages now? Because mm-hmm. I just looked at, I pulled up LJ Johnson on 24 seven And he's got 52.9% from Texas, 47.1% to go to Texas A&M. But it also says he's warm on both LSU and Oklahoma. So, I mean, you go back to two days ago and Samar Wheaton was 100% Oklahoma. And if he's 100% Oklahoma and then right now he's got a letter of intent that's gone in to Nick Saban's office and he's gone then you're there's no way you're going to convince me that Texas holding a 52.9% advantage is going
1: to be secure at this point right and this um just as a general statement i guess more than anything i start to pump the brakes on these kind of situations and the reality for me that begins to set in is yeah be excited about the future but be thankful for what you have right now and the names that we've mentioned Kennedy Brooks Ramondre Stevenson Marcus Major Seth McGowan. These are guys who are on the roster who have experience and have at least shown us what they're capable of. Let me remove Marcus Major from that equation because we've seen more out of the other three than we've seen out of Major. And I think if we had to put labels on those four names, the future is, is within those three. Right. But again, you do have to have the running back position is not going anywhere. I mean, this is college football, right? Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't matter if it was the NFL either or even the high school level. You have to have some kind of a running game unless you're Florida and then you can be successful without one. But but can you though? Can you though? <laughs> Oklahoma does. Like I said, they've got a good crop of running backs mm-hmm. on the roster. We like to use that term stable. That's not going to change in the immediate future. Oklahoma will address that. So don't be disappointed in what the future holds but hang on to the now for right now.
0: Yeah. Well, and also don't forget that, you know, the, this signing, the signing period is open, and it doesn't close until February. There's lots of time. Lots of time here for Oklahoma to, to figure something out. Hey, I want to stick with players leaving because this is a bigger thing for the right now. And that, by the way, speaking of the right now, let me, let me just jump back and say this. Oklahoma with the number one, w- w- even without... Even without Samar Wheaton, Oklahoma is still the top recruiting class in the Big 12 and number nine nationally. So let's, again, let's not just act like this class is crashing and burning because there's not a running back in it right now. That said, Trey Brown. Trey Brown decides to leave. I told you uh, Sunday when we did our podcast post-Big 12 championship that that was it for Trey Brown. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember me saying that or not. Yes, I do. Um, But I I didn't. I knew he was gone to the NFL. As far as he's going to to declare, I didn't know that he wasn't going to play in the Cotton Bowl. And while I'm a little bit surprised and a little bit disappointed, I also get it because he's going out on top. I mean, he he, he had the game. He had the game kickoff return, the interception to seal it, three years in a row, kind of helping Oklahoma cap that Big 12 championship. But here's my question for you. Is this a bigger deal for Oklahoma than Florida not having pits?
1: Wow, man. Just take one of my true or false questions oh, okay.
0: well, we'll, we'll, right we'll, off the table. No, we'll, we'll hit
1: it. No, we'll let hit it me, later. Let's say let, let's let's table okay. the conversation. Let me say this then about about Trey Brown. Because I understand where he's coming from. Trey Brown's biggest asset and the, the college level of football has been his speed. And when you begin to factor in one, what he's selling to an NFL franchise mm-hmm. in that speed—if he is—if he's to put that at jeopardy and is to lose that for any reason, his stock is going to plummet. Right. I get that decision of Trey Brown as a cornerback with what he's selling, how he's been branded throughout the course of his career at Oklahoma, and then stepping back and saying. It is a game. It's a bowl game. It's probably a game that he does want to play in to once again, prove that this defense is capable of competing on the national level, but at the same time is his future at stake. And it's easy for us as fans to forget that in the moment. It's easy for us to sit back at home in our lazy boys, chairs, couches, whatever it might be on the floor. It's easy for us to sit back and say, that's a poor decision. Because ultimately, we want our team to win. We mm-hmm. want our team to prevail. And then the personal for these players is is often pushed way, way, way into the back. It's put on the back burner. But like I said, when it comes to Trey Brown, I, I agree. I'm sitting there in the same boat as you are. I understand the decision and the, the risk versus reward. There, there's more risk for him by playing in that game than there is reward. Clearly, you're not Alex Grinch. You, How do you know? I I well, because you don't have as
0: much money as he does. Um, but let me ask you this if you were Alex Grinch, what do you do at that corner spot? Do you just let hey DJ, you know, DJ Graham, you're a freshman. It's time to shine, baby. This is it. You've got a whole season under you. Let's get out there, and see what you do. Do you do you look at Woody Washington, a red shirt freshman? Or do you move Trey Norwood over and let him go back to corner? You're shaking your head on the no on that one? No, and, what and, do, and that's what do because you do? Trey
1: Norwood's been so successful at where he's at. He's really blossomed in that role and has produced the most number of turnovers. The one thing that we've been clamoring for, not just this season, but even last season, where have the turnovers been? They're finally starting to come. And I think if you move Trey Norwood, you risk losing some of that turnover probability. What I do is is use the two names that Chief said. DJ Graham has proven to be one of the better tacklers in this secondary. We said the same thing about Jaden Davis when he came onto the scene as a freshman. Mm. If you can put a guy out there and know that in space he's going to make the tackle, that gives a lot of confidence to you as a coach. So I look at DJ Graham, and again, I look at Woody Washington, the two names that you've mentioned, no surprise, big shocker there, but... Woody Washington is another guy that I feel like, had he been in more snap situations, had he been on or had he played more minutes, I know that's a basketball term, but I'm going to use it. Had he played more snaps, I think we would have seen Woody Washington come up with one, maybe even two more turnovers. I don't know what it is about him, but he seems to be in the right place at the right time. I'm not saying that he's going to be the best player on the field, I'm not saying he's going to be the best corner. The cover corner on the field, but whatever it is inside of him instincts, I I don't know what it is, but he has this innate ability to put himself between a receiver and the ball and make a play on it. And and again, that's what I like. So against a Florida team that, that you're looking at throwing the ball more than running it, I, I think you just lean into those two guys. You don't experiment a lot, which I would have said differently last week. You don't experiment a lot, especially with Kyle Pitts out. You don't experiment a lot, in that secondary for me. You stick with the tried and true and and get the job done.
0: All right, Cherry Brown gone to the NFL, won't play in the Cotton Bowl. Are there a few other players who will or will not make that decision? We're going to talk about that. Plus, Oklahoma basketball loses an absolute heartbreaker Wednesday night to Texas Tech. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Oklahoma, look, Rich. I know you didn't get to see the whole game, but I know you saw the final play. Oklahoma loses sixty nine to sixty seven to number fifteen Texas Tech in Norman. A game in which Brady Manick scored how many? Two, two points the entire game. Th- the. You got Kirk West, Brady, Manick, two of your starting five, combining for five points. I I do want to tell you this: Mo Gibson led the bench with eleven. I know you you don't like Mo Gibson; you think he's just a waste of
1: a scholarship. But um, I never said that. I mean, what I'm trying to say all, all what I'm all trying I to said say he's about Gibson, Matt, was that he was not he wasn't a proven scoring option for me.
0: Harkless four points. Mo Gibson eleven.
1: Just like that, I said, as long just, as the consistency is there, I'm just willing just to
0: give it to him. Throw that out there. But <laughs> this was a game that came down literally to the final seconds where you got Iwakor missing a free throw, and man, the the ball gets tipped and tipped and tipped, and then it lands exactly where you want it to be in the hands of your your go to guy, Austin Reeves, right there at the rim. And it just doesn't bounce in. I mean, heartbreak city for Oklahoma. And we talked about this schedule, Rich. I, you got to love the fight in them. You, you got to say that. I know I'm not a big, I'm not big into moral victories, but you got to love the fight. But man, it doesn't get any better from here. He's West Virginia at home on, um, on January 2nd. And then you're at Baylor number two, West Virginia's number seven, by the way, at number two, Baylor at number three, Kansas before you get a break to come back home against TCU, a team that you've already beaten in conference, Oklahoma could be staring directly in the face at one and four by the time that TCU game rolls around. But it's just, just the worst way to lose. Uh, You got some true or false questions, right?
1: I do. here's what I'm going to say about basketball before we, we move on from this is the one thing that I'm beginning to recognize about this team, Matt, because you and I said that they could legitimately finish top four in the conference. There are some pretty good teams within side of that top four at this point, but but Oklahoma is proving that they can be competitive on the same floor with ranked opponents. You have to look at their losses: the one to Xavier, where Xavier lights out shooting, now is in the top twenty five at number twenty two, and then of course the loss to Texas Tech fifteen by two. This is a team that has some kind of components, some kind of chemistry that will allow them. And and I've held, I've maintained this every year that Lon Kruger has been the head coach. There's some kind of chemistry that allows this team to jump out and surprise some others. I think this was just the the first taste of that. This is a, a hungry team after not getting to play in the NCAA tournament last year and having their seniors go out. That way, I know that that was canceled. No, no one got to play in the NCAA tournament, and none of those players were granted an additional year of eligibility. So it was definitely an odd year. But again, I think this is a team that's hungry. I think this is a team that has an identity, which is a very good thing here early on. And these guards are just going to have to suck it up and play long minutes. That's the one trend that I'm noticing take place at this point of the season as we move into true or false matt i know i'm going to put you into the hot seat here it's your favorite place to be on the podcast yeah because of i all have time. no
0: idea there there's there's not a game until we actually have another podcast before the next game so you you literally could be anywhere with these questions yeah
1: but here's the thing is you you've already got a clue as to what one of them is because you you stated it almost verbatim at the beginning of this podcast trey
0: brown and, and pitts correct okay correct
1: so I'm just gonna jump in. We're gonna throw out these true or false questions, and then we're gonna look a little bit at some of this NFL talent that Oklahoma has on the roster, and ask the question of: Stay or go? Should I stay or should?
0: Gotta let I go? me know. Here's,
1: here's the thing, Matt, um, because I know that we really haven't dissected or gotten into any of the comments coming from this Florida linebacker. I went ahead and I did a little bit of digging. Okay, from 2012 to 2016. During those seasons, I'm not saying that it happened. There was a win against Auburn that will count in this, and that one fell the new year of 2017. But during the 2012 to 2016 seasons, Oklahoma claimed a 4-1 and one record against SEC opponents. Since that moment, do you know what Oklahoma's gone? Against SEC opponents alone? Here, let me help you. They're zero three.
0: Wait, I, I I couldn't tell. I couldn't remember if it was <laughs> two or three, but it, it was it was it's all, Georgia. It's all the
1: college football playoff.
0: Yeah, Georgia, Alabama mm-hmm. twice, right? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. that's that's what I was. That's the pause. I was like, was it once or twice with mm-hmm. Alabama? So when we're looking but at, like, can you wait? Time. I know you're getting to a question, mm-hmm. but can we not differentiate the difference between going to Knoxville and winning in the regular season and playing the best team in the country?
1: Can we not? I, we we can. But again, I thought. We can – let's take the Trevor Knight year where Oklahoma goes into the Sugar Bowl and beats what many considered a better Alabama team, considered an Alabama team that should have been playing for a national championship that year. But ultimately that doesn't happen. They get beat out. I believe it was Auburn, the Iron Bowl. Yeah, that was the the kick six year. Yes, yes. Oklahoma has gone 0-3, Matt. So there are some good wins prior to that. And there are some difficult losses to swallow since unlike the Georgia game no, well, where t- t- Oklahoma had a major lead heading into right. the second half. But let's let's
0: LSU last year. Best team in the country. Alabama. Well, best team in the country. It wasn't
1: Alabama twice, it was LSU. But, Georgia, uh, uh, Alabama, and LSU. LSU, yeah.
0: Yeah, but that's that's what I was that's where I was I was lost. But I mean, th- when they lost to Alabama and they lost to LSU, those are the two best teams in the country. Now the Georgia game was just We've talked about that. I mean, we've talked Oklahoma, I still will. I will go to my grave believing Oklahoma was the better team in that, in that game. But whatever. You have a question? Yeah, we're going to get to.
1: You're kind of. We're we're already having the debate here. But true or false? This is the segment where I'm I'm posing it to you. True or false? Given the recent trend, Oklahoma is a good bowl matchup, but the Sooners are not on Florida's level.
0: Oh, that's that's so false. That's just false, man. You, I mean, and I've got thoughts about <laughs> I, I, this this kid. Look, I, um, James Houston is his name. I, I've got thoughts that I'm going to share later, but that's completely false because I think Florida's over over inflated. I, I don't think this is a Florida team. That's
1: I mean, Florida was pretty competitive with Alabama in that SEC championship right. game and we've said that Alabama is an elite team. Maybe not on this podcast, maybe not ever while we're recording, but Alabama has separated themselves as an elite team from the rest of the rest of the pack.
0: The rest of what pack?
1: The rest of the country. So the, I mean so- Ohio State, Notre Dame. Wait, Okay, say it again. You're saying Florida State belongs in that state? No, no, state? no, not Florida State. We're not talking I mean, about not, Florida State. Why did I mean, I did that last time. Yes, Florida. you did. I'm saying Alabama has separated themselves. Okay, okay. And here's a team in Florida who just went toe-to-toe with them. Yeah, but
0: what happened the week before that? They, throw, I, they, they I don't know. They, you throw a shoe and you lose the, the LSU, one of the worst teams in the SEC. And, and so, it's
1: true or false, you're answering this is with a false. It's false because... You think Florida's an inflated team. That's where I cut you off. I,
0: I think... I think this is going to be a fun game. And I think th- I, at this at this point, I would say odds are 50-50 for OU to win or lose this game. I couldn't say odds were 50-50 uh, against LSU in the Peach Bowl. Could you? No. No. What about Alabama all. in the Orange Bowl?
1: I didn't think Oklahoma had any business being on the field with LSU that year. That was a generational team.
0: This is as close to a... Um, this is as close to even as Oklahoma has been in a bowl game since that Georgia game in the Rose Bowl. And and with all due respect, I I just pulled it up. If you if you go to ESPN and you look at their matchup projector, predictor, whatever thing, you know what the odds are? Get get I'm I'm looking at it right now. What do you think on their match on ESPN's matchup predictor what do you think the percentages are that OU wins this game i'm
1: trying to cheat and look at the reflection in your glasses (laughs) but it's so the reflection is so tiny that i just can't make out any of the wording or any of the diagrams that exist there given what you've just said because i do believe you've given me a clue but i would have to guess and i do know the the favor oklahoma started as a two and a half point favorite that swung three and a half into to florida's favor given that i'm going to say that oklahoma 48.5 florida 51.5
0: oklahoma 57.4 wow florida 42.6 wow so yeah i I don't feel like you can say man i'm saving my rent i do you got me boiling just a little bit because i i'm just going to move on i'm going to say that's false rich florida's 8-3 oklahoma's Eight and two. Oklahoma's losses this year were to a Kansas team that was way worse Kansas at the end of the Kansas
1: State, not Kansas.
0: <laughs> what is wrong with me? It's the coffee, man. I'm helping um, you. I'm helping. I, I, I'm glad you're here. Oklahoma's losses were to a Kansas State team that was way worse at the end of the season than they were when they beat Oklahoma, and then to an Iowa State team that was top six when the Sooners play, played them in the Big 12 championship. Who did Florida lose to? They lost to LSU. LSU beat Florida. The Gators are 8-3. and three. So, yeah, they can oh, well, we lost to Alabama. We played them tight. Okay. Can we talk about LSU? Can we talk about Texas A&M? We don't want to bring those games up. We just want to talk about Alabama. How do we do compared to almighty Alabama? This is going to be a fun, and and the jawing and talking is only going to, hey, what, what James Houston started, it's only going to get better as this game gets closer. Man, we
1: know, Matt, we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the SEC's reputation rises and falls on Alabama. And so as long as Alabama's doing good, the, the other 13 teams will also claim a national championship.
0: They will. They will. <laughs> By the way, this is a linebacker for a defense that gives up they give yeah, up.
1: Yeah, not a not a stellar defense.
0: Yeah, over 400 yards a game that they give up on defense. Is this the SEC? Oh, it's it's great offenses. It's great offenses in the <laughs> SEC. It's not bad defenses. It's great offenses. All right, yeah, that's we'll,
1: we'll find out on December 30th let's, just let's how good the this next Florida one. defense is. By the
0: way, almost 150 yards per game on the ground for the mighty Florida Gators and James Houston and his and its linebacking. Club. I
1: am gonna stick with this Cotton Bowl matchup. For just a little bit longer, because when we look, and this is the question that you've already posed to me, I'm just going to throw it back at you. When we look at the players who are opting out, we know that Trey Brown has been an integral part of this this Oklahoma defense and has been a major part of the success that they've had. Now, granted, we want to throw all of those accolades towards that front seven, Mm -hmm. but if on the back end, they're leaving players wide open, it's a quick throw over the top. That's not the case. And like I said, Trey Brown with his speed, there's a lot of credit that is due him. On the opposite side of the equation, Florida losing the tight end, Kyle Pitts, I, I don't know that it changed this offense, but it took away their their number one target. When we look at those two names, we know that they've both opted out of this Cotton Bowl in order to pre- prepare for the NFL draft. True or false, looking ahead at the Cotton Bowl. Trey Brown's absence is a bigger deal than the absence of Florida's Pitts.
0: That's false because here's the thing: Trey Brown, Florida, uh, Florida is going to lose a Mackey Award winner in Pitts. Oklahoma is not losing a Jim Thorpe Award winner in Trey Brown.
1: No, just Oklahoma is losing a playmaker in big moments. I get that, but but th- you want to compare big plays between <laughs> Pitts and Trey Brown? No, I'm just I'm just throwing out something for you to think about.
0: Yeah, no, I don't have to think about it. It, it. I'm not gonna pretend it doesn't hurt that OU's losing Trey Brown. It does. But here's the thing the matchup that's gonna win or lose this game for Oklahoma is gonna be the front seven. If they can if they can if they can pressure Kyle Trask, if they can get him to to move out of the, out of the pocket, get him uncomfortable, get him throwing on the where he, he does he can't get to the third option. If they can do that with their front seven, then the loss of Trey Brown, it, it becomes a little bit less significant. And the on the flip side, if Oklahoma can continue to do that with their front seven, the loss of Kyle Pitts for Florida becomes that much more significant because Trask is losing his safety blanket. So the answer to this question is going to be and what Oklahoma's front seven does against Florida's Offensive line and what they do in the backfield. And I I think that plays more into the hand of Florida missing Pitts than it does to Oklahoma missing Trey Brown. Again, I don't want to belittle Trey Brown. I, I do think he's going to be missed, but I don't think it's as big as how as big of a deal as not having the best tight end in the country. Imagine Oklahoma going in, I mean, 2008, you didn't have DeMarco Murray against Florida. But remember also, they didn't have Jermaine Gresham. Or was that 2009? They had Jermaine Gresham. They, they didn't have him in 2009. Look how that, deal, uh, that offense changed, even though you lost Sam Bradford, but you never even had Jermaine Gresham to start 2009. Best tight end in the country. Makes a big, big difference when that guy's not out there. False.
1: I'm going to look a little bit further ahead with my next question because there are some rumblings coming from this Oklahoma roster saying this belief that we're extremely, using quotes, air quotes here, we're extremely close to winning a national title in 2021. True or false, you're buying into that statement. I'm 100% true. I'm buying in because – you look at the defense and the progression
0: from year one to year two of Alex Grinch. You look at the at Spencer Rattler and how he's progressed from game one against Missouri State, which is nothing more than just a scrimmage, to the losses to Kansas State, the loss to Iowa State. And then they come back around to win the Big 12 championship. I know people were not happy with the almost the lethargic approach that Oklahoma had in play calling in the second half of the big 12 championship. But again, I, I I'm going to go back to what I said in our post game. How long has it been since Lincoln Riley can just say, okay, I'm going to rely on my defense here. Okay. The answer to that question um, is he's never, never. Yeah. He's never been able to do that. And so the defense is coming around and the offense now Spencer Rattler gets don't forget Spencer Rattler didn't even get spring ball. He barely got summer, fall camp, didn't get spring ball. So now Spencer Rattler gets to go in this offseason with those young receivers and that offensive line and those young running backs are running back and Seth McGowan, that offense will get better next fall. And you got to think the defense will continue to take a step forward. If if OU beats Florida in the Cotton Bowl, they will be a preseason top four team, 100%. I think there's a good chance they're going to be a preseason top four team anyway. But if they beat Florida... Because you think about it, Kyle Trask is going to be gone. Trevor Lawrence is going to be gone. Justin Fields is most likely going to be gone. Oh, beating Florida in the Cotton Bowl really sets Oklahoma up well for
1: 2021. I'm all in on that. A part of that equation is retaining this coaching staff as well. It's something that right. we've talked about. Obviously, you're losing Shane Beamer, the next guy up on that list of potential coaches that could make a move from a position coach or a coordinator role to a head coaching job was Alex Grinch. Mm -hmm. As his name began to swirl around that Arizona opening, again, I think success in 2021 rides upon retaining him, so true or false? Any questions about Alex Grinch leaving for a head coaching position have been squashed now that Arizona has found their head coach?
0: For this year, true. I think, I think that was kind of a litmus test to see would he listen, which we know he would. He was willing to listen. But Arizona's not the job you leave. A two, He's making $2 million a year at Oklahoma. You don't, you don't give up a $2 million a year as an assistant. To go to Arizona. You just don't. It's not that good of a job. It, it's a... It, I mean, w- name me a great coach in your lifetime from Arizona. That started there? Yeah. You just name me a great coach that came from Arizona. I'm Mike Stoops? <laughs> You're going to go with that one, huh? <laughs> that's all I got for but, but you. But That's what I'm saying. It, I, Mike Stoops pretty much was the potential I mean we thinking about Rich Rodriguez leaving West Virginia and going to Arizona that didn't work Rich Rodriguez was a really good coach at West Virginia Mike Stoops a lot of potential as a defensive coordinator leaves Oklahoma goes to Arizona Kevin Sumlin was a bum I, I'm sorry. I, Kevin Sumlin and I have a history together. We have a, we had a very infamous Twitter spat back before Oklahoma got steamrolled by Johnny Menzel in the Cotton Bowl. Kevin and Sumlin and I went back and forth, and Texas A&M fans are the worst. I'm just going to say that out there. But that was a terrible hire by Arizona. He, they they literally took Texas A&M's garbage and hired him and made him their head coach. It didn't work. I, I'm not surprised it didn't work. It wasn't working in College Station. But the point is, you that's a mess out there. You don't leave a secure $2 million a year job to go try to clean up that mess.
1: And, unless you're trying to get into the NFL.
0: May, maybe, but still, even at that, I don't think that's... I mean, I like what they did because they, they went and got an NFL guy to coach at Arizona. And they needed to because Arizona State has Herm Edwards, who's an NFL guy. But still... You, you stay away from that. The the point that I'm getting in all of this is that if you look at Alex Grinch, he's going to go into year three and it's, if they take another step forward in year three, if they take another step forward in year three, then what happens is you get to see a little bit bigger names start, come calling next year. I think we're solid this year. I really do. I, Unless Shane Beamer, I, and I said this while Shane Beamer may take some low level GA type guys with him. I don't even know that he will, but I, I think we're pretty solid now.
1: Last question then that I've got. We're already a five. We are when this is number five. Oh, huh. we, we tabled this one off air for just a slight moment. As a good segue into an, another segment that we've got coming up here. But when we look at these players, these, these guys who are NFL talent that sit on the Oklahoma roster that have the potential to be high draft picks, a Ramondre Stevenson, a Creed Not Humphrey. Not a high draft pick.
0: He is a high draft pick.
1: As well as a Ronnie Perkins. All three of them are committed to playing in this bowl game. Right. For now. yeah. And I, I believe that's going to hold as preparations. It has begin, to with but, those three, yes. But they're committed to play in this bold game. We know that each has a big decision to make, and we know that that's looming over them. That will probably come right after the game, if not within the days following the game, win or lose. So true or false, of, of the players who could opt out for the NFL, not opt out, but opt for the NFL draft, Perkins is the least likely to return to Norman. True or false?
0: I think that's true. And and I think Perkins has to play in this game going back to game going back to film. You know, last year it was Kenneth Murray. He was the guy that everyone was wanting to see Kenneth Murray and Perkins benefited from Kenneth Murray being on the field. This year, you know, he missed half the season, but he's the guy. And he doesn't have a, a same thing with you said with Ramondre Stevenson. He doesn't have a full season of film being the guy. But I think he is probably, of the defensive guys, the highest-graded NFL-ready guy on that entire defense. So he's got a big decision to make. But in making that decision, he has to have this game. He needs this game. Creed Humphrey, Creed could, Creed could opt out. He could pull the trade round and opt out. But he said he's not going to. He said he's going to finish the season. And Creed even said it's the idea of coming back and winning a national championship that's attracting to him. So he's... He's kind of on the fence. I've already said how, what I feel about Ramondre Stevenson. Here's the thing you got to keep in mind also. do You, you know why right now on, on the 23rd of December, do you know why Sam Ellinger, after already going through senior day and all that stuff, now all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I'm thinking about coming back for one more year since I can. Do you know why that's happening now? I do. Because they're getting their
1: NFL draft You're evaluations right. back. And 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 some of them are a little bit surprising. They're not falling where they thought they would. Sam Ellinger's probably
0: said late round or undrafted free agent, UDFA. That's probably what Sam Ellinger said. And now he's got to go, ah, okay, um... Wait a minute, everyone's always told me I was the best. <laughs> so maybe I'm gonna stay where everyone thinks I'm the best. That's why he's
1: thinking about it. Now he can go to the combine and change so that. weird, man. It's so weird. Well, what, what's weird? Well, we begin to talk about Sam Ellinger, and I think he shares a very similar skill set to what we saw out of Jalen Hurts. And immediately, if you're Sam Ellinger, you're saying Jalen Hurts was a second round draft pick. There's potential for me to go within the first two rounds as well. But there, there are some X factors that Jalen Hurts has that, like I, he can throw the ball. Like, I'm not even talking about that. <laughs> he knows what a blitz is. But when we look at Jalen Hurts, I think Jalen Hurts leadership off the charts. Right. Work ethic off the charts. Strength off the charts. When so when we look at Jalen Hurts and we begin to look at that X factor, I think that's what made him so attractive to these these NFL. Franchises to these guys who were doing all the evaluations, and mm-hmm. he put up proper numbers in fact, eye popping numbers if you were willing to go that far before going into the NFL. And so, when I look at a Jalen Hurts and I look at Sam Ellinger, they can both run the ball on a consistent basis, but they
0: run differently. They they do, Sam Ellinger they runs do. with his head down, Jalen runs with his
1: head up. They do. And now we're There's seeing big Jalen Hurts in that starting – like I said, I just see if I'm in Sam Ellinger's shoes and I'm eyeing the NFL draft, I'm saying Jalen Hurts is a good comparison to me. Whether that's true or not. That's is, not true. It's a completely different story. There, yeah. But saying that a, a guy who wasn't known at Alabama as a throw-first a throw guy but more of a game manager and more of a guy who was going to pick up the short yardage downs or at least give you an option mm-hmm. to confuse a defense, when you look at that, like I said – I think if I'm Sam Ellinger and I'm in his shoes, I say I've got that same skill set.
0: Well, which he could go to the combine. That that's see where Jalen Hurts really changed some things yes. was at the combine. And Sam Ellinger could say, you know, I could go to the combine and and make this better for me or i could go to the combine and And make make it worse worse. and that's where he's considering but see that's why trey brown's gone trey brown he he liked what he got back on his report yeah and creed humphrey i think liked what he got back on his report i don't know what Ramondre got back on his report i don't know what ronnie perkins got back on his report but i would be willing to bet the two guys on oklahoma's roster right now who got the highest draft grades were creed humphrey and ronnie perkins i can't disagree with that so let's talk more about that, shall we? Okay, so we've talked about it. Creed Humphrey, Rich, stay or go?
1: The the verbiage that Humphrey's using in any interviews, anytime anyone's talked to him, leads me to believe that, that he's staying. If it's up to me and I have a Christmas wish list that comes true, I, I want him to stay because he's the anchor Of this offensive line, we talked about the tenacity that he plays with and how he sets the tone for the rest of the group. Now, we expected from this offensive line a potential of three offensive linemen to be featured on the all Big 12 conference teams. That didn't happen this year. Mm -hmm. I I mean, first team. Right, right. That didn't happen this year. I still think there's that potential. I think this is that caliber of an offensive line. Pro football focus, graded them out as the second best offensive line in the country behind only Ohio State. So needless to say, Creed Humphrey has a big big say in where Oklahoma falls in that ranking. So if it's my Christmas wish list, I want him to come back. But I also believe because of the verbiage that he's using, he is staying. Yeah, I,
0: I agree with you. I think... I feel better about it now after his comments this last week about wanting to come back and win a championship. I'm leaning towards stay. Ramondre, I told you, I think he's staying. What do you think? Stay or go?
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. And a lot of it comes down to what you had mentioned earlier in what what's on film, what's on tape, what has he shown us? Because he already sat out half of this year and he played basically in a backfield with three other three other players competing for time mm-hmm. in a Kennedy Brooks. In a Trey Sermon, Ramondre Stevenson has five games. Is it six or is it five? Five. Eight and two, with, so yeah. five games, yeah. There are five games of tape where he's the feature back in right. this offense. I think he needs another one. I don't know that he's going to get a, a first round, a second round, or even a third round grade. At this point, it's probably somewhere in the middle, so I think he comes back. Ronnie Perkins. Gone.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on Ronnie. Um, I mean,
1: he, he has nothing to gain by staying.
0: I agree, and I hate that. Unless he wants to, unless he, you know, he catches the
1: fever like Creed's right. talking about. But I, I think, yeah, he's gone. I will say this though: is as big of a deal as Ronnie Perkins is for this defensive line. It's easy for us to completely blank on the names of Jalen Redmond and Isaiah Thomas. Now, Isaiah Thomas is a senior. He's got one great. Is he a senior? He's a junior. He's got one great year of film out there. I see no way that he goes to the NFL. I think he puts a second year of similar stats up. And again, when you add Jalen Redman to that equation, this is still a pretty good good line on the outside. Depending Mm -hmm. on what Winfrey and and Ellison do is going to heavily dictate how good they are on the inside.
0: Yeah, and I'm hearing pretty good things about Redmond coming back next year as well. Let's go with some interesting names now, okay? Guys that could easily leave, but they could also easily take advantage of this extra year. Guys like Theo Howard.
1: I mean, he came to Oklahoma for a reason, right? Right. Because of that transfer, because of the injury, I say there's no way that he leaves. Okay, what about Eric Swenson? Man, Eric Swenson, I could see retiring from football after this year. Really? I don't know that he would move on to the NFL I don't know that he's an NFL offensive lineman. When I look at him, though, I could see him going into a, a coaching role more than anything. Become a GA? Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So you're, you're saying
1: you're calling it right now. Anton so, Harrison starts so at left I'm tackle saying, next year. I'm saying Swinson, Swinson's gone. Okay. But not to the NFL. Just going for the team. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. How about, here's the big one. How about Perry and Winfrey?
1: Stay a lot of it comes down to some of the similar reasons that I mentioned for these other players. Perry and Winfrey, coming from the Juco ranks, has now made a name for himself on the big stage. Again, when you begin to look at the competition that he's played against, it's easy when you're the number one Juco recruit in the country to say that that I've arrived. Mm-hmm. But when you can replicate that success at the division one level instead of at the Juco level, it says a lot about who you are and the potential, the ceiling that you possess. I, from a personal standpoint here is I want to see those. And I said this about basketball. So I'm going to really reiterate that when it comes to Winfrey, I want to see a sustained level of production from him from more than just one season. Because I think if I'm an NFL guy, I'm asking the question of how much did Perry and Winfrey benefit from a guy like Ronnie Perkins? How much did mm-hmm. he benefit from a, a guy like Isaiah Thomas? How much does he benefit from that rotation with Josh Ellison? Can he maintain a similar level of success? Can he maintain that disruptiveness in the middle without a Ronnie Perkins if Ronnie Perkins does opt to leave?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think and Winfrey has a lot more to gain. By. He's, like, he's like Ramondre where he could go and be a late round, but he could stay and really, really set himself right. up next
1: year. So yeah, I, I, I think, think he could be more money. successful than Gallimore.
0: Yeah, I think Smart mo- Oh, I agree. I agree. He's a little bit quicker off the snap mm-hmm. than Gallimore was. Gallimore was a little more powerful than what Perry and Winfrey has been, but um but Winfrey's quicker off the snap. Um all right, let's let's talk. Let's talk about our our man James Houston. By now, if you're listening to this podcast, you have heard James Houston's quote about Oklahoma. But just in case you haven't. Here's what he said. James Houston, obviously a Florida linebacker. Here's what he said about Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a good matchup, but they're not on our level. They're not the SEC. They're not the Florida Gators. So we should put on a good show. So let's, let's break this down and let's talk about it for just a second. Just the ridiculousness of this comment. Is Florida a better team than Oklahoma? Possibly, but possibly not. There's just as good of a chance that Florida's not any better than Oklahoma as they are as there is a chance that they are better than Oklahoma. So what he's doing is he's, he's lumping Florida in with the SEC having the best team in the country. He says that. They're, they're not on our level. They're not the SEC. Can you imagine for just a second Let's take one of Oklahoma's rivals. Let's let's take Texas. Let's take Oklahoma State. Can you imagine Oklahoma State getting ready to go uh, to play Miami and say, well, you know, Miami's pretty good, but they're not on our level. They're not the Big 12. They're not Oklahoma. (laughs) I mean, you know what we would do as Oklahoma fans? We would roast Oklahoma State over that. We would roast Texas over that. We would roast any team in the Big 12 over a comment like that. Yeah, you're not Oklahoma. You lose to us every year. But yet the SEC, this is what they do. Has the SEC produced the best team in the country? Yes. And they did it last year as well. But just because the best team in the country resides in your conference doesn't mean that you are an elite level as well. Last I looked, this is a team that lost to LSU. And it wasn't the LSU of last year either. Last year, you lose the LSU like they're the best team in the country. I walked away from the Peach Bowl going, that's a good team. That's the best team in the country. It's
1: basically an NFL team. Exactly.
0: Well, it was. I mean, That's what's happened to them this right, year. Right. So you walk away from that going, man, that's whew, those, were, those guys were good. That's not the LSU they lost to this year. They lost to Texas A&M. Last I checked, Texas A&M is not Alabama. And so for this guy to come on public record and give Bolton board material, yeah, okay, let's compare. Florida, 41.6 points per game scored. Oklahoma, 41.8 points per game scored. Who's
1: the better offense? I don't know. Oklahoma can run the ball. Florida, yeah, can, Florida can throw the ball. Let's say they're doing it in different ways. And you look at an experienced quarterback versus a true I say true freshman, which isn't th- really the case. But you look at a freshman, a first-year starter. There are stark contrasts that exist. I see your point. Matt, I see where you're going, but continue.
0: Well, let's go to the defensive side of the ball then. Florida, 28.6 points per game allowed. Oklahoma, 21.9 points per game allowed. Guess what? James Houston is right. Oklahoma's not on Florida's level. They're above Florida. They're above Florida in the rankings. They're above Florida in the standings when you look at losses. 8 and 2. Both teams with 8 wins, but Florida's got 3 losses. Yeah, they're not on the same level. They're they're one level below Oklahoma. They're and you look at the the points allowed, you look at the yardage allowed. This is a, a defense that gives up over 400 yards per game. And here's what's interesting about this. These two teams are in opposite positions of what they were the last time they met. Everybody remembers the last time they met was 2008. And you had Sam Bradford and that prolific Oklahoma offense shattering records. And yet Florida who was "Eh, okay. They find a way to score offensively with Tim Tebow, but really it was the defense that Florida had in 2008. It was that defense that was the staple of this Florida team. Now they're opposite. Florida has a Heisman Trophy contender in Kyle Trask, not a Heisman Trophy winner, but a Heisman Trophy contender in Kyle Trask. And Oklahoma is the one who's taken the giant step forward defensively. And when you look at the liabilities of this team, only one of them has a defense as a liability and that's Florida. So excuse me if I don't jump on the Alabama's the best team in the country. That means everybody in the SEC is better than everybody in the Big 12. I'm not buying it. And neither should you. That's my thought. That's my rant. That's my That's that's my <laughs> That's the end of my thought on that. Hey, we do want to break down just real fast before we close out this podcast we do want to break down Oklahoma's offense versus the Florida defense. We're just
1: giving general thoughts here. Just right? some general thoughts. I know we we got to go in depth next week, right? But yeah, we yeah. Got to save some material. Yeah, That's,
0: yeah. But just just some just some initial gotcha. thoughts. Oklahoma's offense versus this Florida defense, particularly since we're talking about James Houston and his asinine comments. I think when you look at this Florida defense, which we've we've talked about, and this is the third time we've mentioned it just on this episode. I I think for me, if I'm putting together, and this is going to sound like a broken record. So I'm going to ask you if you're me, where do you think I start with my offensive game plan?
1: I don't know, Matt with running the ball, running
0: the ball. We've talked about Ramondre Stevenson, and this is the opportunity for Ramondre Stevenson really to put himself on the map for a highlight year in 2021. If Ramondre has a big bowl game, which very much there's a possibility here. If Ramondre has a big bowl game, then he, he jumps into 2021 as one of the top running backs in the country. And when you look at last week's loss to Alabama in the SEC championship, it was Najee Harris who really torched the Florida defense. But he didn't do it necessarily running the ball. He had 178 yards, which is, honestly, that's another day in the park for Najee Harris. But Najee Harris caught five passes for 67 yards and three touchdowns. Five passes, 67 yards, three touchdowns, 13.4 yards per reception. Do you know who else has the ability to do something like that?
1: I do. Little, little guy by the name of Ramondre Stevenson.
0: I mean, the, the, he's a bruising running back. He's a physical specimen who really wears on you. But he's athletic enough. Well, I've compared him to Joe Mixon many times. He's athletic enough to do what Najee... If I'm Lincoln Riley, I'm looking at that game plan that that Alabama threw out there last week. And I'm thinking, okay, Steve Sarkeesian, you you had a pretty good plan. We're going to piggyback on that. There's no shame in that game, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I think that's the first thing I'm going to do. They they fed the ball, Najee, they fed the ball to Najee Harris 31 times for 178 yards, 5.7 yards per carry. He did score two rushing touchdowns, and then we talked about the three receiving touchdowns that Harris put together. That's that's the game plan. And I think you've got the offensive line, who we've talked about. We've talked about him at length. The offensive line, he was experienced enough to get in that second level of the Florida defense and just wreak some havoc on, on these linebackers. Do you remember Brecken Hager from Texas? I do. I, I can almost see our man Harrison having a Brecken Hager type game. If that, if the, if the offensive line can get to that second layer of the defense, the same way that they did, you know, of course Brecken Hager was coming off the uh, line of scrimmage. But anyway, the point I'm making is this. Oklahoma has the ability to to do very similar. I'm not saying that Ramonja Stevenson is Najee Harris. I'm I'm not saying that, okay? But he's a Najee Harris-like guy and that he can do many of the same things. And maybe next year he could be more like Najee. But right now, he's a big, bruising guy that can really hurt you. And, okay, so what about LSU? the combination of Chris Curry and Max Johnson branding the ball against Florida over 100 yards between those two guys. And what did LSU do? They set up the big play through the air by running the ball. making, They just crammed the ball down Florida's throat, forcing the Gators to buy into the play action. And when it was all said and done, LSU... Above the season average, over 400 yards of offense against this Florida team, 239 through the air, 179 on the ground, pulling off the upset win. This is not a Florida defense that you just look at them and you think, holy cow, we've got to figure some things out offensively. This is a Florida defense that you look at them and you say, okay, here's some things that we can do. Isaiah Spiller for Texas AM, 174 yards on the ground. You, you, I mean, you get what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, you, you, the, the three losses for Florida this year, it started on the ground. But if you look back over the course of the season, they've continually given up 100 yards on the ground. But the three losses, it was above their average, particularly with Spiller and with Harris. Would you take Texas A&M's offense over Oklahoma's offense?
1: No. And I'm just not a Kellen Mond fan.
0: I'm with you. But Texas A&M, 543 yards of offense against this team. So for me, I think I've made a pretty good case. I'm starting with Ramondre. And it's not a game like I said in the Big 12 Championship where Ramondre could have 21 carries, right, and average three yards a carry. I think Ramondre has 21 carries and very easily averages north of five yards, four and a half to five and a half yards per carry. I think this is the type of potential he has in this game. And if that's the case, then you got to start looking at Marvin Mims and Braden Willis and, you know, Trajan Bridge is getting deep on this secondary because I do think, the combination of what Alabama did and what LSU did by setting up the pass. The, the game plan is there, and their propensity for OU to score in the 40s, it's there. there. There is so much potential there for Oklahoma to have what we would call a typical OU offensive performance, but we just hadn't seen it the last two weeks. So they like they were stuck on 27 against Baylor, stuck on 27 against Iowa State. Florida, Florida can't hold a candle right now to Baylor and Iowa State's defenses.
1: I'm going to add one thing that to what you're saying because I do believe that Florida's defense is is median. They're they're pedestrian. They're not below average, but they're not above average. They're they're going to fall in the middle of the pack. And I get when we look at the collegiate game, a lot of it is shifting towards this ability to outscore your opponents and play very little defense. That way, if you do get a stop, it's just that opportunity, one more possession. We're not seeing teams really control the clock as much as they used to. We're not seeing teams come in and and be run-dominant teams in the SEC anymore. That was a trend that we had talked about for years. It's finally sweeping Mm -hmm. across the entire 14 teams in the SEC conference. But what we're ultimately beginning to realize is that some of these defenses aren't as good as we once thought they were. Because you can't just stack the box and stop an elite level running back and force a game manager at quarterback to to throw the ball consistently. It just isn't the way that the game, the, the makeup of the game, it, it doesn't lend a hand to it anymore. Right. When I'm looking at Florida though, one thing that I will say about them versus Oklahoma's offense is that in that big 12 championship game, One thing that was extremely concerning to me was third down conversions. Oklahoma was one of 11. That gives them just over a nine. It's 9.09 for anybody who wanted the exact number, but that's a 9.09 conversion percentage. That's not a very friendly number to an offense. And when we begin to look at what Florida is doing, Florida, again, falling in the middle of the pack, they are number seven in the conference uh, uh, opponents. Third down conversions at 40.88%. When you look at what Oklahoma wants to do offensively, I think a lot of it is going to hinge on converting those third downs, but it's it's finding success in the running game on first down. It's using that play action to get things moving and getting some of these players open against those safeties biting down on that play action. So I do think Oklahoma has to do what you're talking about with running the ball, but I do think they need to find a way to be successful, whether that's getting creative, whether that's creating those mismatches that we've talked so highly about from Lincoln Riley in order to keep these drives sustained. Yeah. O- Oklahoma's got to do it. They've got to find a way. Cause I don't think they can have a repeat performance like they did in the big 12 championship game. It's, Kyle Trask as the quarterback, they're going to put up points. You're not going to keep them out of the end zone forever.
0: No, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, when we, when we flip the script on our next podcast and we talk about Florida's offense versus Oklahoma's defense, I'm going to be the first one to say Oklahoma hasn't faced a quarterback this season like Kyle Trask. But for right now, I don't think I can agree with you. Maybe they're middle of the pack in the SEC. But they're not middle of the pack when you talk about defenses that Oklahoma has faced this year. I I think Uh, off the top of my head, head, I can tell you what I believe are three defenses in the Big 12 that that are maybe four defenses in the Big 12. I think Iowa State's defense is the best defense that Oklahoma's seen this season. I, I think Baylor's defense is probably the most physical defense that Oklahoma's faced this season. Oklahoma State defense, I would put them ahead of Florida and maybe TCU. But here's the thing: when you talk about the SEC, name me the best defense in the SEC. It may be Texas A&M this year. I I think you're right, but maybe Georgia as well. I, but I think that's that's uh, to me, it's a coin toss: Texas A&M or Georgia. But then who's the next? There isn't one. I mean, this is this is this goes back to to the comment about. They're not the SEC. They're not Florida. Are we forgetting that this is a conference that has... Did you watch the Ole Miss-LSU game? There's no defense in no, that. No,
1: I wanted to watch good football.
0: Remember? did I mean, Didn't we establish that at the but beginning the, of the year? The point I'm making is this is a conference that features Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, South Carolina, bad defenses across right. the board, Missouri. LSU, Missouri. And then when we talk about the good teams in the conference... The only reason Alabama's there is not because of defense. They've got the best offense in the nation right now. Mm-hmm. Georgia's a good defense. A and M's a good defense. So maybe two of your thirteen teams play good defense. So for you to say Florida's in the middle of that pack, okay, that's a bad I mean, pack. I mean,
1: Florida's in the in the middle of the pack nationally.
0: I but I I I'm not go. buying it. I'm just saying I'm not buying it. When you look at as bad, I mean, I, I I know what you're saying statistically, okay. I, I get what you're saying statistically. But what I'm saying is there are, there are way more bad defenses in the SEC than there are even mediocre defenses in the SEC. And I don't think Florida's at, at the bubble or above the bubble. I think they're below the bubble when you look at on-field productivity. And I think the SEC across the board is below the bubble when you look at on-field productivity. I'm predicting Clemson-Alabama in the national championship game. And the only reason Clemson gets a shot at winning that game is because they will be, hands down, the best defensive team that Alabama has seen all right. season long. And I think you can – if the argument was good in the Big 12, it's got to be good in the SEC. Mac Jones, best quarterback in the country right now. I've already said it. I vote – well, I'm just saying, I've already said I voted <laughs> him number one in the Maxwell Award, okay? I get it. But if we said this about the Big 12, we got to say it about the SEC. There are no good defenses in the SEC. And the SEC is going to try to spin this. Oh, no, our offenses are great. No, they're not. Here's what's happening to your SEC defenses. The spread has you, – you predicted this, Rich, two years ago. You're the one who said the spread offense is coming to the SEC and they're not going to know what to do with it. Here's where Oklahoma has a huge advantage in this game. It's that they've got a 10-year, they've got a decade worth of playing spread offenses to contend with. Florida's got two, maybe one and a half. This is the most that the SEC has seen in the spread offense this year. You got Lane Kiffin in there. You got Mike Leach in there. It's starting to go. Steve Sarkeesian at Alabama. It's starting to spread, and they don't know how to defend it. I
1: see what you did
0: there. And, <laughs> and, they, and, and here's, what's, here's what Lincoln Riley, here's, here's the trick up the sleeve. You ready? It's not just to spread offense. You got to deal with the wrinkles that Lincoln Riley is going to throw out there against a defense that doesn't know how to defend the spread. These guys were not recruited to Florida to defend the spread. They weren't. They were recruited to Florida to play run on first down, run on second down, and then a medium range pass on third down. That's what they were recruited to defend. And now they've got to go five wide, there's always going to be, a when you've got linebackers, big, strong linebackers who are built to defend the run, and now you've got to put them out on a tight end, or you got to put them out on a, on, a, on a slot receiver, man, that's where your mismatches come, and, and Lincoln Riley is going to have wrinkles for days. He's going to have these guys having headaches when they come off the sideline because they don't know what to do. Big, big advantage for Lincoln Riley there just because of Florida's inexperience
1: at defending the spread. Last thing I'm going to throw into the mix here, and this is an obvious one. I know that I've said it consistently on this podcast, but when I look at what Florida has done, I think they are prone to turning the ball over. Yeah, that's a good point. And when we begin to look at Oklahoma, Oklahoma has been very good at limiting those turnovers. They haven't had any costly, costly mistakes throughout the second half of the season. Now, the flip side is that the defense has started creating those turnovers, but when you look at... At the, the turnover margin, it was not very favorable for Oklahoma, and I think that's ultimately why we saw so many close games at the beginning of the season. The second half of the season, Oklahoma's been in control, and the number one stat that changed was the interceptions, specifically, mm-hmm. specific to, to Spencer Rattler. I do believe, again, as I've said, Florida is prone to turning the ball over. They have a negative two turnover margin for the year. Which tells me that if this Oklahoma defense, I mean offense, refuses to cough the ball up, they're gonna have at least one, maybe two additional offensive possessions than Florida will.
0: All right, so let's let's give a couple of players then that you were, obviously if we're talking about running the the ball, we're talking about Ramondre, we're talking about limiting turnovers. Spencer Rattler gets a, a, a
1: mention there. Give me a third guy. I mean, I'm gonna go with Theo Weiss at this point. Um, I, I really want it to be Marvin Mims as a receiver, but given the fact, one, a lack of experience for Marvin Mims, even though he's been great this year, he still lacks that experience, leads all OU freshmen in touchdown receptions in the history of the program. So again, he he has skill, he has talent, but when you're going up against a team the caliber of Florida, a ranked team, a, a top 10 team. I don't know that I expect him to be as successful as he was against a, a team like Iowa State. Now, I could be completely wrong, which is why I'm going with, with Theo Weiss here. Theo Weiss just being a taller receiver, Theo Weiss being a guy who I think presents a um, bigger mismatch than a Marvin Mims. Marvin Mims is going to have to rely on his speed more than anything, whereas Theo Weiss can rely on his size as well. I think he becomes one of the, the favorite targets in this game. Therefore, I, just, I think he has to produce.
0: I'm just dumbfounded because I feel like you're saying, you, after all that I've just said, that you feel like you're telling me, I feel like you're telling me you think Iowa State is not as good of a team defensively no, no, no. as Florida? No, no,
1: no. I'm not saying that at all. But here's what you gotta, here's what you got to look at. Heading into that Big 12 championship game, who was the main target for Oklahoma? Who was the guy who was, who was making the big plays? It was Theo Weiss. Mm-hmm. Iowa State, I think, keyed in on him. Florida, I, when they're going to study this tape of what Iowa State did, who was the one getting free? It was Marvin Mims, right?
0: Here's what I'm going to say. I can study tape of LeBron James, but we're not going to go out in my driveway, and I'm I'm not going to be able to reproduce LeBron James. No, you're also
1: way. not a Division One athlete. I'm,
0: I'm, but I'm saying is Florida is not able to do the things that I state this does okay. defensively. They okay. they can't. They cannot do it.
1: But you can still bracket a
0: receiver. Can you? Because they don't know how, Rich. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm just saying. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Give give me your player then. Well, here – I think – I'm not – I need to come back for just a little bit. And I'm I'm not – I do agree with you. I think that's what they're going to – they're going to say, hey, we can't let Marvin Mims beat us. And so it does. But also I think you're – Yeah, because here's – One thing you're not taking into consideration is that the ability that Oklahoma is going to have now with Trajan Bridges back to really stretch vertically –
1: Well, and let's not forget about Jaden Hazelwood as another tall receiver. He is an option. I don't think he's been used to his full potential this season, largely because of that injury. I don't know that he's 100%. He looks it, but I don't know that he is 100%. He may be playing at at 70, 80, 90. I I don't know. This This is all I'm thinking, though, Matt, is Florida is going to attempt to limit the big plays. I think they're going to play right. to limit the big plays. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's why. Nothing
1: my, nothing behind the defense. And it definitely shifts towards a guy like Theo Weese in that type of a situation.
0: I think it shifts towards a guy like Jeremiah Hall slash Braden Willis, whoever's in there at that H-back position. Mm-hmm. This game sets up to be huge for those guys because Lincoln Riley watched what Alabama did with Najee Harris in the passing game. And he thought, hmm, I've got Jeremiah Hall. I've got Braden Willis. I've got Mikey Henderson. And and don't forget, Mikey Henderson is a guy that we've talked about. He can run the ball as well. That H-back position is, to me, is the position that's going to have a big night against this Florida defense. Because those are the guys that are really going to be one-on-one with these linebackers that I'm talking about. So those are the guys. I I believe the biggest game of not – we've mentioned – I mean – the biggest game of guy not named Spencer Rattler or Armand Stevenson is going to be one of those H back guys because they're, they're just going to eat all night long. Okay. That's it.
1: I'll allow it. I appreciate that. (laughs) Hey, Merry
0: Christmas, rich and Merry Christmas to you. Listening to the sooner nation podcast. Thanks so much for hanging with us through another fun football season. We will have one more podcast before the cotton bowl, uh, to break down more in depth, Oklahoma, Florida, that entire podcast will be dedicated to, to the Sooners and the Gators in this matchup. You can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, tune in. We're, we're there across the board. Anywhere you find podcasts, you can find us. Thank you so much for being a part of what we do. We'd love to hear from you. You can always hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Have a great weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner.